0: Isn't it amazing how circumstances that we never intended play such a massive, massive role in our lives? The the things that happen to us, the things that happen around us, the choices we make that make massive differences we never, ever intended. I remember choosing at the I mean last minute of the 11th hour, my senior year in high school, choosing to go to God's favorite university, the University of Texas, and, and decide, I don't know what you're laughing at, We just, I'm just stating truth, that that I chose, to, but it was literally the last minute, it was May of my senior year, and I, I didn't know for sure at that moment if I was called into ministry, full-time vocational ministry. So I decided I was going to get a business degree that I could use no matter what I did after college. And so I decided to go to UT and I had no idea that what God would do over the next five years of my four-year degree, (laughs) that he would be cultivating within me a love for the city of Austin. That while I was here in college I would would come to understand I get this city. I love the people here. I love the the weirdness that is Austin. I grew up in Houston. There is no weird in Houston. If there is, they eject it (laughs) immediately. But I I love Austin, and I remember thinking, even in college, if there was ever a town that, that needs the good news of Jesus, communicated without compromise, but hopefully compellingly and creatively and compassionately, that, that this is a place that needs that, that, that could use that. And little did I know at, the moment that, at that moment that God was beginning to stir something in me that later, eight, nine years after the fact of college would become Lake Hills Church, that, that God was up to, to doing that. You can do the same thing in your own life. And you think back on choices you've made, places you've gone, experiences you've had, and you see how... God orchestrates things to to pave the path of our life. Today, as we wrap up this teaching series biography, we're going to look at the life of a woman who made one choice that radically altered the trajectory of her life. So much so that it is actually woven into the faith that we now carry 2,000 years after Jesus Walked on the earth. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to look in the book of Ruth, chapter number one. Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament. And as you look up Ruth, I want to give you just a little bit of a, of a background. Ruth occurs about 1100 years before Jesus walked on the earth. And it was during the time in Israel's history where the judges were ruling in Israel. And the story of Ruth actually begins not with Ruth herself, but with her in-laws. Her in-laws lived in the city of Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi were experiencing a massive famine that caused them to uproot their family and move to a nation called Moab. Moab was on the other side of the Dead Sea. It was east of Bethlehem. And so Elimelech, Naomi, and their two boys moved to Moab to get away from the famine and just to survive. Now, what's interesting about Moab is that the Moabites were forever a thorn in Israel's side. They did not get along. They hated each other. But this is where Elimelech and Naomi had to go for survival. Well, as the story unfolds, Elimelech dies in Moab and Naomi is left with two boys who are growing up there in Moab and as boys will do, they met, fell in love with, and married two women there in Moab. The women that they married were named Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, and Ruth. But the Bible says that 10 years later, Naomi's two boys also died in Moab. And so there in Moab, you have these three widows, the mother-in-law, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, living, fighting for survival. Now, you have to keep in mind, 1,100 years before Jesus, 3,000 years before you and me, this was a highly, highly patriarchal culture. They, They had no man in the household. They had no means of support. And they were up against it as three widows. And so Naomi decides that they're going to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem. But on the way back to Bethlehem, Naomi has a flash of insight. And she thinks about her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And she says, you know, you all are still young girls. You, you you could remarry. I'm going back home to my family to die, but you could still find a man. You you're still, you know, relatively attractive. You could do something and 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 find somebody that can help you survive. So you need to go at your best bet is going to be going back to Moab. And the Bible records in Ruth chapter 1 this very very poignant scene where they They kind of huddle on the road between Moab and Bethlehem and they're they're crying and they're they're mourning their separation. And Orpah says, you know what, Naomi, you you got a point. I'm going back. But this is the moment in Ruth's life. This is where she makes this decision, sticks her flag in the ground. And look at how the Bible records this moment. Ruth chapter one, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Wow. This, this is a passage that, that, somewhat frequently gets read at weddings wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It's a beautiful picture. But just for a second, I want you to put yourself in Naomi's sandals. Maybe, maybe especially if you're a wife, can you imagine having this conversation with your mother-in-law? Whoa, don't don't answer that. I'm just kind of throwing it out there as a hypothetical. And and Naomi kind of steps back, Orpah's already left, she's on her way back to to Moab, but Ruth, Ruth says, I will stay with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so there's this this incredible line in the sand moment. You know, when you think about the circumstances of your life, you, you think about how God weaves them together to pave the path of your life places and and jobs and all those things that that get factored into it, the single greatest factor in your life, circumstantially, the single greatest factor in my life, circumstantially, are people. it's, It's the people that we choose to celebrate with or to commiserate with, the people we choose to commit to that will make the single greatest factor, determinant of how our lives go. People are the greatest circumstances in our lives. And here Ruth puts her flag in the ground and she says, Naomi, I'm your girl. We're, we're doing this together. And they return back to Bethlehem. But when they get back to Bethlehem, this is where the story really starts to pick up. This, this is where circumstances begin to truly unfold in a profound way. Now remember, they get back to Bethlehem, it's still two widows living together. There's no man in the household in this patriarchal society and culture. And so Ruth adopts an old Israelite tradition called gleaning. Gleaning was something that God had actually provided for in the law of Moses. He said that those who cannot afford food of their own then they will be allowed to follow behind those who harvest the fields and pick up what's left over. That's that's what's gleaning. And so Ruth goes into this field outside of Bethlehem and begins gleaning the leftovers from the harvesters. Here's what happens. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened... She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, and the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. This, This right here is the beginning of a Nicholas Sparks book. This is the beginning of a rom-com to end all rom-coms because I, I want you to, to, to picture in your mind's eye this widow going out in the fields just to pick up the scraps from the harvesters and as it happened, it, it, it just so happens, it, it just so happens, she goes into the field of a guy by the name of Boaz and it just so happens that Boaz is related to Elimelech who it just so happens happened to be Ruth's father-in-law who had died back in Moab. It just so happened. But I want you to notice something about Boaz. This is really interesting. When Boaz shows up and sees his fields being harvested, he immediately pronounces a blessing on the harvesters. What what does he say there? He goes, the Lord be with you. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was not typical employer-employee relations going on. He starts with a blessing. And I love that the Bible says the harvester's like, and the Lord be with you as well, Boaz. Lord bless you too. Because here's the deal. If God blesses Boaz, the harvesters are blessed too. There's this incredible scene of blessing here in Ruth as this story unfolds but I love what happens next. That, that, was, that was just verse four that we finished with right there. What happens in verse five, you don't have to look it up because I'm going to tell you what happened. Boaz calls over the foreman of the harvesters and he's like, hey, bruh, who that. You see, Ruth caught his eye. He was like, yeah, I hadn't seen her in the fields before. Who's this little honey? That's the original Hebrew being translated. And the foreman has done his homework and here's what he says. The foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. Now Naomi and Boaz are relatives by marriage, remember? She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So, so Boaz, now we don't know for sure but because the Bible doesn't say like it does in some other places, but, but something about Ruth, something about Ruth caught Boaz's eye. Something caused him to ask the, he didn't ask about any of the other harvesters. He goes, what's up with that? Who, who dat? That's the original who dat nation right there. And he goes, man, she's the one who came back from Moab with Naomi. She's here providing for her mother-in-law. She's not even related to her anymore, but she's here helping Naomi out. And she's been working her head off all day, except for a few minutes she was in the shelter getting out of the sun. There was something about Ruth. And I think it's important to notice that Ruth was taking care of business. She She was handling her work. When Boaz showed up, she wasn't prancing around, putting herself out there to, to find a man. She was TCB. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have ever been to Memphis, Tennessee? How many of you have ever been to Memphis? It's a great town, great food, great music. Okay, for those of you who just raised your hands, how many of you have ever been to Graceland, the home of Elvis Presley? If Y'all, you got to get on that. We got a little bit of summer left. You need to go to Graceland this summer. It is one of the greatest tours ever. It's it's a history museum. It is fascinating. Elvis' story there in the, you know, the the racquetball court now houses all of his jumpsuits. It's awesome. Cars, checks that he wrote to people that nobody knew about at Christmas. It's incredible. I I will tell you this too. There's one kind of part of it you just need to brace yourself for. When you get to the end of it, Elvis and his mom and dad are buried there at Graceland. And we were there like, I think the middle of July. It was no you know, famous day in Elvis history. And there are people beside the graves of Elvis and his parents losing it. I mean, it's so emotional. I was, I was really uncomfortable. But you can get past that. The, the tour is incredible. The gift shops, they're like Disney World. They got a gift shop outside of every single display. It's brilliant. But here's what's fascinating about Graceland. As you pull up Elvis Presley Boulevard, the first thing you see is the tail of a plane sticking up above the trees. It's the Lisa Marie, Elvis's jet that he used to fly around on. And as you get closer, you see there on the tail of Elvis's jet, you see the lightning bolt and TCB. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, TCB. TCB is taking care of business. It's what Elvis did and it's what Ruth did. Ruth was taking care of business. And Boaz saw something in her. He was drawn to her. Ruth chapter two goes on to tell us that that night, that, that day there in the field, Boaz called Ruth over. And, and he did so very respectfully. He said, my daughter, come, come over here for a moment. What, what, are, what are you doing? And she said, well, I, I'm here gleaning to help my mother-in-law Naomi out. And he said, you know what? You Take some more stuff. And, and he gave her some more stuff. Then he called his harvesters over and he said, you know what? Let Ruth follow closest behind you. Matter of fact, take some of the good stuff out and just drop it for her. And, and by the way, don't nobody hassle Ruth. I got my eye on her. And, and Ruth Goes home that night to Naomi, and she's got, she's like weighted down with, with extra gleanings. And, and Naomi comes in, Naomi, Naomi looks at Ruth, and she's like, Girl, where'd you get all that? And, and Ruth's like, It's this guy, this guy named Boaz. And all of a sudden, Ruth clicks, and she's like, Boaz. Na- Naomi clicks. She knew the name Boaz. She knew that Boaz was family. She knew there was something going on. But look in Ruth 2, 20. Ruth chapter two, verse 20. There's this incredible, incredible concept, principle that Naomi introduces Ruth to, but also to us. Look at what she says. She says, "No, oh, well, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. One of our family redeemers. Some older translations of the Bible will call that a kinsman redeemer. Now a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer is a, specific role that was actually stipulated in the law of Moses back in Leviticus chapter 25 and Leviticus chapter 27. And the, the family redeemer is is the nearest relative to a person in the family who has been disenfranchised. Somebody who has like let's say a widow. Here's let me give you just a working definition of a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is a relative who restores or preserves the full community rights of disadvantaged family members. It's a relative who restores or preserves the full community rights of disadvantaged family members. Now keep in mind, in this culture, in this society, highly patriarchal, widows were destitute, widows were incredibly impoverished, But a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer could come alongside one of these family members and restore them, not just financially, but also spiritually, also as a part of the community, as a part of the family, bring them back to full social standing in the family, in the tribe. And Naomi tells Ruth that this is who Boaz is. Boaz may be our ticket out of poverty. Boaz may be the one who is our kinsman redeemer, our family redeemer. And so Naomi develops a plan. Naomi tells Ruth, you need to get a shower. She says, you need to get cleaned up. You need to put on your prettiest gleaning dress, put on some perfume, and you need to get yourself back to the threshing floor, girl. You need to go talk to Boaz. But do it in a way that is appropriate. And she tells Ruth to go back, but don't flaunt yourself. Don't just make yourself known to him once the day is through. Don't interrupt his work. Don't interrupt the the meal in the evening. But she tells him, she tells Ruth, to go and lay down beside him at his feet when he goes to bed for the evening. Look at what happens. This is fascinating. Verse eight, Ruth chapter three. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. I think that may be one of the greatest understatements in the entire scripture. <laughs> I mean, Boaz, is, he's worried about the barley harvest. He's he's harvesting during the day, he has a meal at night, he's going to bed, and at midnight he wakes up and there's this woman sleeping at his feet. Look at this, verse nine. Who are you? He asked. She said, I am your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, it's very important as you and I read this in 2019 to make sure that we understand there was nothing inappropriate. There was nothing sexual in this encounter. She was lying at his feet, but she lay at his feet in order to illustrate a principle. Naomi had told Ruth, when you go in there, take the covers that he's sleeping under and just remove them from his feet. Lay down at his feet but make sure his feet get cold. I believe, we don't know this, but I believe that's what woke old Boaz up. His feet got cold. And she said, please cover me with your garment, for you are my kinsman redeemer, my family redeemer. You see, The kinsman redeemer not only provided for the the estranged family member, community member financially, there was also a spiritual covering that the kinsman redeemer would place over those people that they're reinstating back to the full rights of the community and the family. There was this spiritual covering. This is what Ruth was most interested in. She wanted him to place that spiritual covering that she didn't have anymore that Naomi didn't have anymore. And Boaz, as we've already seen, he was obviously interested in Ruth. He was more than happy to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. But he explained to her that there was actually someone ahead of him in line. There was another kinsman, another family member closer to Naomi than he was. And he told Ruth, go home. But, but but go home at a time and in a way that doesn't, that doesn't hurt your reputation because nothing has happened here tonight. He said, go home and I will take care of it at the city gates tomorrow. And so at the city gates, Boaz calls forth this family member who's closer to Naomi than he is. And he says, brother, you must know, of course, by now that Naomi's back in town and she is now selling the property that belonged to our family member, Elimelech. And you... As the kinsman redeemer in her family closest in line, you have the first right of refusal to her property. And the kinsman redeemer says, I'll, Sure, I'll buy Elimelech's property, no problem. And then Boaz springs a little catch. He goes, Now there is one slight caveat. If you buy Elimelech's land, you also have to marry Ruth. And he's like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Now we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say, but I believe he was already married. Because he does say, if I were to marry her, that would mess up my estate. No thank you. And so Boaz says, well, I guess somebody has to marry Ruth. I'll do it. And that's exactly what happens. But Boaz was careful to follow the process in order to get to the desired product. He honored the process so that God blessed the product. How many times do we get in trouble when we, when we see something that we want, when we see a blessing that maybe even God has in store for us, and we just want to grab it, instead of honoring the process? Boaz honored the process. He recognized it was not his shot to call. He went through the proper channels. He gave this guy the first right of refusal over the kinsman redeemer role in Naomi and Ruth's life. And God bless that. And the Bible says that, that Boaz made sure there were witnesses present there at the city gates. And he said, let everybody here know that I did the process correctly. Let everybody here attest to the fact That I gave him the choice and he chose not to. And now I'm marrying Ruth. And that is what happened. The Bible says that Boaz and Ruth were married and and that they, as husband and wife, came together and, and Ruth got pregnant. And they had a son. And it's an amazing, amazing story that all started, it all started because Ruth made a commitment and a covenant to Naomi. It all started because back there on the road between Moab and Bethlehem, Ruth said, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And it was because of that commitment, that covenant that Ruth made with Naomi. That Boaz assumed the responsibility and the role and the privilege as the kinsman redeemer in this family. But there, there, there's something else because I told you at the very beginning that Ruth's commitment to Naomi radically altered the trajectory of her life, but is even woven into the fabric of our faith. Let me, let me show you what God did through these circumstances. Verse 16 of Ruth chapter 4, the Bible says that Naomi, the mother-in-law, now a grandmother, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living around them said, Naomi now has a son again. And they named him Obed. Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David in this little town called Bethlehem. You see, the the, the kinsman redeemer not not only provided a covering for Ruth and for Naomi, the kinsman redeemer, God used these circumstances, God used this covenant to preserve the family through whom eventually would come Jesus himself. Jesus, who was of the house and the line of David. David, the shepherd king. David, whose father was Jesse, whose grandfather was Obed, whose great-grandfather was Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer who restores disenfranchised family members to the full rights of family and community. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, actually also points us toward Jesus because the ultimate kinsman redeemer is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who provides a spiritual covering, forgiveness for anyone who would follow him so that we might be restored to the full rights of the community and the family of faith. The the family that our sin takes us out of, Jesus took on himself. And the Bible says, on that cross, he became our sin. He died for you and for me so that we could be forgiven of everything and after he died, he rose on the third day. He got up out of the grave with the promise of new life for a covering spiritually for anyone who would invite him to be kinsman redeemer of their lives. Now, you don't have to use the term kinsman redeemer, but that's what he is. That's what he did. And this is, this is the power of covenant power of commitment. You know, so many times we, we go back to Romans 8, 28 when things go bad. God loves, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Yes, period, hard stop. And we, we hold that truth, we cling to it, we hang on to it, but it, it's, not just, it's not just the bad stuff. God causes all things to work together for good. God caused the commitment and the covenant of Ruth to Naomi to preserve the family that would one day turn into David, the shepherd king, that would lead to Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd king, the good shepherd, the good king, the savior of the world. Now, I don't know where you are this week or or today, but I do know this. I do know that Jesus has offered to be your kinsman redeemer, your family redeemer, to restore you to the full rights of the community and the family. That when he rose from the grave, he rose with the promise of a new life for anyone who would follow him. And if you've never accepted that, you've never stepped into that and leaned into it personally and definitively and relationally, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. To just pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of Submission and surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you have made that commitment personally and definitively, then I want to invite you and ask you to please be praying with everything that you've got for this moment, for, for folks around you, maybe who haven't. Maybe someone that you invited to church today but if you're here today and you want to begin that relationship you want to step into that promise then we invite you to pray to pray a prayer of beginning that relationship just right where you're sitting just from your heart to God's silently say something like this just silently say Jesus I need you I need your covering, your forgiveness. And so I confess my sin to you. I ask you to give me the grace to turn from that sin. And Jesus, I claim your forgiveness. I accept it. And I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. that you rose again for me. And right here, right now, I accept. I ask you to come into my life, and I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer, Lord, in your name. I ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a second. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And so as a church, as a family with you, we, we wanna help with what's next. And so two things I wanna ask you to do, just right here before the service ends in just a few moments. Number one, if that was your prayer, would you just right now Take out the program that you got when you came in and just start filling out the connect card that's in there. Contact information. You'll notice right after your contact info, there's a place to indicate that I committed my life to Christ this week. Just fill that card out and you can, once you've completed it, tear it off along the perforation there at the fold. And before you leave, I wanna ask you just to hand that to one of our ushers one of our hosts. If you want to, there are folks outside underneath the big front porch there at the Hub that would love to take that. Second thing I wanna ask you to do is our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a second. Your hand being up in the air is just a physical statement of a spiritual commitment that you just made, responding to God's amazing grace. And our family tradition around here, as we celebrate, as we honor that with you, you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.